Hi, and welcome to another episode of Cinemazing Chats. I'm Pablo, and I'm here with Erica. And we watched You've Got Mail, the 1998 romantic comedy by Nora Ephron, starring Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. And I have to say, this is probably. No. This is easily the worst film we've ever done. I was thinking that too. I was like, no, it can't be. But it really (laughs) was. I was like zoning out during parts of it. It was so bad. Surely Jupiter Ascending, no. No, that one was more entertaining. I was thinking maybe um, The Cobbler was pretty transphobic, but even that had more going on than this movie. Uh, I just couldn't think of one that was actually this boring and terrible at the same time. Yeah, I just don't know what kind of, like, mix of uppers and downers people were taking in the 90s that they kept producing such bland, like, toothless, uh, like, oh, everyone's having such a good time and no one has any real problems crap. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, Friends, friends. or something. It's like the whole same Friends thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. And then, yeah, there was a lot of coffee drinking in this town. <laughs> and there was a star- prominent Starbucks ad in the middle <laughs> when they were going through this oh, town. Yeah, there's- yeah, there's tons of Starbucks. Uh, it's pretty obvious that they're referencing Barnes and Nobles. Like they call it Fox Books, but it's obviously uh-huh. Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah, and just like the whole like, oh, we love New York, and all the like, look how busy everyone is. It's New York, and all this shit. Oh yeah, they're taking you through the seasons in New York, of course. Jokes about rent control. Oh my god, stuff yeah. Like that. <laughs> So uh, we should mention as background that Nora Ephron, uh, she apparently started out as a journalist, which I didn't realize. Um, she's part of this lawsuit that they made a series of called Good Girls Revolt about Newsweek not hiring female writers. Um, but anyway, she's written a bunch of romantic comedies. Uh, she wrote When Harry Met Sally, which was an original screenplay. And she also wrote Sleepless in Seattle, which I liked a lot better than this movie. Like, I haven't seen it in a while, but it seemed like better written or something but that one itself was also an homage uh to an affair to remember whereas this one is an homage to a play called perfumery oh yeah and there was a 1940 film called the shopper on the corner based on that play and it seems like this thing this play has had a long life throughout hollywood like remakes of it with different names um but meg ryan's shop is called the shopper on the corner in this movie yeah, and they all have sort of the same, uh, you know, storyline. It's just about, like, two people who can't stand each other in real life, but then when they talk in some other uh, contrived way, like either... Pin pals. Exchanging letters. Yeah. yeah, or email in this case, then they do like each other, or they can relate. Yeah, I felt like the film was trying to go for the idea of, like, these people you may be interacting with or not interacting with, like crossing paths with every day in the city, they could be like the one, the love of your life. Little do you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And in addition to this movie and Sleepless in Seattle, uh, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks were also both in Joe versus the volcano together. So it seems like they really like working together. I guess they're just like really nice to each other or something. Oh my God. Everything's so nice. Yeah, they're all so manic pixie and cute or whatever we were saying while we were watching this movie. <laughs> so twee. Yeah. And I did also want to mention uh, Nora Ephron also wrote Michael, which I also hated from the 90s, <laughs> uh, which was a John Travolta movie where he's an angel. And then she also wrote two of the worst Steve Martin movies, which were My Blue Heaven and Mixed Nuts, which I didn't really like either of those movies at all. What is that? I don't even know those ones. Okay. <laughs> 
They're like holiday movies, but they're like also they have the same like humor, just like very uh, bland, mm. forgettable. Well, I will say I was disappointed that to learn that it was made by uh, like a presumably a feminist lady, because this yeah. movie was really offensive in a lot of ways and very and they would say like sexist things like oh she looks like a dog or something. Mm. I mean, the whole plot's completely implausible because somehow Meg Ryan has, like, a small uh, kids' bookstore in New York that's successful enough to stay open, and then it's only when this, uh, like, big bookstore opens that she's in Mm -hmm. trouble. She has, like, a huge, like, a huge fucking apartment, (laughs) and she seems to be doing fine. Otherwise, it's just, like, this one thing is the problem. And and we know that she doesn't have a rent-controlled apartment because... um, some guy in the bookstore says something about having a rent-controlled apartment. They're all just, like, rolling their eyes at him because he has it so good. It's also kind of funny how this movie was probably, like, immediately dated when it came out because nobody really exchanged emails, or at least I never did. Like, most people just went straight to instant messaging. Well, that's what was... Yeah, this was, like, if people who don't use computers started trying to use chat rooms, because they they drop one line in the movie saying they met in a chat room. So they must have exchanged emails in a chat room, which is weird, I guess, instead of... Yeah, and so then they're just emailing... Oh, well, no, no, no. I think chat rooms work the same way. Chat rooms are more like, you know, you just have the permanent posts that people reply to each other. Oh, okay. But then, yeah, they have AOL. So they're like, they only use Instant Messenger once in the movie, and she's like shocked. She's like, (gasps) Yeah, it's very strange. Instant Messenger? He he messaged me instantly. (laughs) He messaged me, and it was instant. I only like this delayed email... thing <laughs> yeah and maybe that's just from the adaptation how they were trying to make them pen pals so they wanted to keep that part mm-hmm. of it but they could have figured out some other layer like it didn't have to be like literally just their exchanging yeah games. yeah so that yeah. did make it feel a little dated or like they were out of touch with the internet <laughs> and of course the whole premise of the movie uh immediately got superseded because and then amazon came out and destroyed all the like brick and mortar bookstores <laughs> even though now amazon's opening some yeah right of their own so this movie is supposed to be about the dramatic time when all the bookstores were closing but or when the little yeah. bookstores were closing and they were becoming these big chains but then those got <laughs> outcompeted too and there's a ton of stuff about coffee shops and, like, Starbucks is shown multiple times, like, really obvious product placement. Oh, yeah, they have them ordering their, there's a whole montage of people ordering ridiculous drinks. Yeah, Tom Hanks is like, you need to know five different things before you order your drink. Ha ha ha. Yeah, no, that was the thing was nothing they were saying to each other in these emails endeared me to either one. And yet, in in the movie, they're like, no. oh my god, this person's perfect. <laughs> Right, because you would think, like, the whole point of a premise like this would be that they would act very, like, guarded or have this whole other persona in real life, and then their personal life, they'd be, like, a lot deeper or complex to talk about, like, I don't know, politics or religion or something like that. But really, it's just, like, they just say the same, like, bland musings. It's like, I went to the coffee store today. And I have a rant. I'm an angry customer or something. Yeah, it's just, like, um, yeah, it's flipped. It should... Because they talk about politics with their families or their partners in real life, but then on the internet, they're guarded and talking about these cute, cutesy topics. (laughs) Yeah, and also the politics of this film are very strange. Like, they have this whole character, Greg Kinnear, uh, who plays the boyfriend of Meg Ryan. By the way, both of them are, like, dating and sort of emotionally cheating on each um, Mm -hmm. partners. 
it's like his whole character is supposed to be like socialist and, and like anarchist a, and he's a luddite so i guess he's like a primitive anarchist or something i don't know what picture they're trying to paint of this guy it was very strange I don't know, it's very confusing, but basically we as the audience are supposed to be like, oh, look at this crazy idealist uh, socialist. Mm-hmm. No one should be like this guy. Yeah, we're supposed to say, don't be extreme. And then, yeah, he uses, like, a electric keyboard, even though at that point it would have been outdated. And it was also, like, um, so Tom Hanks also had a girlfriend played by Parker Posey, and this is, like, the least amount of character Parker Posey has ever had in a role, I think. She's, like, ba- barely in the movie. She kind of just, like, flits around and doesn't have any Yeah, what was her thing supposed to be? Is she a leftist? Is <laughs> really she just a rich socialite? Like, what is her... I didn't understand her character at all. Yeah, and, like, generally throughout the movie, they're, like, going to, like, these big socialite events. Like, a, there's an extended sequence where they go to, a, a like, a booksellers convention, With I guess. With caviar. Everyone's, like, la-di-da and super fancy. We're, like, rich New Yorkers. That's why we live here. <laughs> Some shit like that. Um, can I just say that I love the way this movie opens? Uh, it just has this whole, like, nostalgic um, computer booting up loading sequence with like the desktop from back then (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah exactly but anyway then it has this like long montage of uh like computer generated city that i guess they're living Mm in new york it looks like the sims which made us realize that the entire movie must be taking place in the Matrix Extended Universe. Yeah, it really is, though, because they're, like, booting up the computer, they're getting onto SimCity or whatever, and then the digitized New York becomes reality. Like, it fades away to their to yeah, our characters. exactly. <laughs> the green lettering falls down, and then it, like, sinks into the regular... Like... Yeah, so this is all computer simulation, so you don't have to worry about it being so terrible. It's all very Sim Earth. Yeah. Oh, and there's this terrible uh, Beatles-sounding song that they use in the intro. And, like, throughout the movie, the soundtrack's really horrible. To the point where I'm kind of like, Warner Brothers probably just forced them to include all these songs. Yeah, there. I remember specifically for the grand opening of the Fox books, they start playing the Splish Splash, I Forgot About the Bath. And it just felt, it was, like, supposed to be, it was just such a mismatched song for the moment. It was just, like... Bad choices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got some, like, good artists on this. I'm looking at the soundtrack right now. It's, like, Harry Nielsen, the Cranberries. They have a classic 90s song, Dreams. Louis Armstrong, Roy Robertson, Randy Newman, Stevie Wonder, Sinead O'Connor, <laughs> Carol King. They just didn't use it right. It's like when they stack, uh, like, when, you know, when they say, like, a stack the bases or something like that. They, like, got all their key artists that they wanted on it, but none of it really gels together. It doesn't create in effect that I understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely wrote a note specifically about how terrible the soundtrack was. I remember, um, so Frank is the name of the Greg Kinnear character, and he has some comment about Solitaire being the end of civilization. Oh, that's... And I'm like, what? Solitaire's awesome. Yeah, the end of Western civilization. <laughs> and I've liked Meg Ryan in other movies, but in this movie, I couldn't stand her at all. She's, like, trying to do the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing, but first of all, she's a little too old for that trope. And second of all, like, I don't know, she doesn't do it right or something. I just don't find her endearing at all the way she's doing it. Yeah, there's like, there is one email where she's trying to open up and like, she talks about, I lead a small life. Do I do it because I like it or because it's safe? And that's when she says the whole good night, dear void. (laughs) 
line. <laughs> yeah, that's but that's is. like her attempt to be deep, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, I remember the scene where she becomes a nihilist and shaves her head and declares that God is dead. Yeah, exactly. She's like, I finally read Nietzsche, and now I get it. <laughs> and also just the fact that she's blonde, and it's like, I don't know, why does everyone hate brunettes? Like, couldn't Parker Posey have played this character instead? She probably would have been more interesting. Yeah, they made Parker Posey kind of unlikable, and Greg Kinnear unlikable. So I took that to mean that they were making a judgment on, like, leftist politics and saying, don't be that way, be centrist, like Meg Ryan. Yeah. Oh, apparently they met in an over-30s chat room, specifically. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, basically the movie intros with these two characters talking to each other or basically waiting for their significant others to leave so that they can talk to each other, which is really weird. Yeah, you can tell they They're hate like, oh, them yes. from the beginning. Finally, Greg Kinnear is gone so I can like get on, get on yeah. and look at porn. She's like looking around like, okay, now I can open my laptop because he hates computers. <laughs> yeah, they take out their huge like uh, suitcase-sized laptops. <laughs> set them up um oh and tom hanks has a conservative family that's the other half i'm pretty sure he was supposed to be conservative too yes. just like two chicken chips he was it. just like a moderate conservative like basically his um dad or his grandpa was saying something about hating the readers which oddly enough is their customers or the leftists basically and yeah. uh tom hanks is like saying oh no be nice to them like he's benevolent towards them I mean, it's kind of like white, New York, privilege, and like upper class. You do the math. like Yeah, class. all these what people. Political orientation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Joe Fox is his name, Tom Hanks, and which is very similar, actually, that name. And he has a standard issue uh, romantic comedy dog, which is this like <laughs> golden lab that constantly is in scenes with him. It's so cute. It's because it's, it's the only enjoyable thing about this movie is like scenes of the dog. So I remember them distinctly. <laughs> well, I don't remember why I wrote this down, but I like it. It says, as opposed to what we actually are, violent sadists. Maybe Tom Hanks or something says something about, we, now we can be what we really are. Oh my God. It's like, oh yeah, they're violent sadists. Yeah. <laughs> they use that 90s song from the Cranberries, Dreams, and they have a little montage. Um, I was also thinking as I was watching this movie that the plot was very similar to that other movie, Serendipity. Hmm, what is that? The one where they, it's like John Cusack meets um, Kate Beckinsale, and they just meet one time and don't ex agree not to exchange any contact information. So the whole rest of the movie is them trying to reconnect or something oh. like that. It's just these movies where they let the two leads like don't actually interact that much, or like without knowing. Mm-hmm. Let's see, so then Joe meets up with his friend who's played by Dave Chappelle. <laughs> And honestly, uh, his character would have been a lot better if they just let Chappelle had, like, free reign to improv whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. as, it, as it stands, he was just, like, an incredibly boring, like, uh, sidekick character who wasn't even funny at all. Yeah. And they obviously probably would have just hired a white guy, but then they were like, oh, let's do a minority casting <laughs> to make it more interesting. Yeah, he was just turned into another bland character in this world. <laughs> But anyway, he's the one who says all the, like, vaguely patriarchal advice to Tom Hanks whenever he's about telling women. him about the situation. About women, yeah. He's like, you should just lie to her <laughs> about who you are. <laughs> You're too nice to catfish. Oh my gosh. So yeah, then we see uh, that Meg Ryan owns this children's bookstore, and she has two employees played by Steve Zahn. There's, like, two lady, two women and a man employee. Yeah. 
Well, the lady was exactly like Parker Posey's character in that she had no inner life. She was like nothing. Mm-hmm. But then Steve Zahn is kind of just like the sad sack being like, oh, my life is depressing. Yeah, I didn't even get his whole thing. I think they tried to sum up his like conclusion with just like a sentence at the end, and I totally missed it. I have no idea what happened to that character. <laughs> they said he went off to do something. Yeah, because at some point, uh, Tom Hanks is successful and does close down her shop. Yeah, so all these people lose their jobs. Oh, wait, here we go. George is apparently Steve Zahn's name. I don't know if they ever said it. Uh, gets a job at the children's department at Fox Books. Oh, and what happens to the other friend? Bertie retires. I guess she was the owner or something, the, the older lady. No, I think she was an employee. But what? Well, there's a there's a third employee. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We don't know what happened to any of these people because they didn't matter to the story. So Tom Hanks has a meeting with uh, ominous older white guys, and we both thought they looked like the Trading Spaces guys. Yeah. They're like, let's be evil and take over the small bookstore. Exactly. They, they're they like rubbing their fly hands together. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically Tom Hanks is going to take over this bookstore, but doesn't realize that it's with the woman he's been chatting with and flirting with, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then there's a second layer because he, so his dad and his grandfather have all these like relationships, have terrible relationships with women, but have a lot of children with women. And so he's going with his aunt and his brother who are like young children to the children, little children's bookstore. And so he realizes, um, so then there's another layer of, like, he doesn't want to reveal that he's the Fox Books guy to her. But also neither of them at that time know that they're the ones emailing each other as well. Right. So there's, like, so much layers of bullshit <laughs> on this movie that it's hard to untangle it. <laughs> oh, by the way, the other employee was named Christina. Mm-hmm. was played by Heather Burns, who was also in Miss Congeniality, mm-hmm. Two Weeks Notice, and Bewitched. Mm. So she's, like, a... Like a romantic comedy person, mm-hmm. but yeah, there was that really weird joke uh, that I didn't really understand at all, where Tom was like calling that lady her his aunt, but she was like the same age as him. Yeah, that's because it's it's his grandfather's child. She's his grandfather's child. Okay, so yeah, I was totally confused by all of that, <laughs> that whole weird scene. I was like, who are these children? And then, that yeah, well, there's them? another scene where he takes the children from the young wives of his grandfather and father and we were like who i was like who are these people um (laughs) it was so confusing but then yeah there's supposed to be this whole running subplot where it's like because his dad and his grandfather are so uh, disrespectful to women he really loves women and wants to be respectful and he cares about forming a true bond with his partner unlike them who just see them as a sex object well, we even joked, like, he must be renting these children, and then later in the movie, someone, uh, I think Meg Ryan made this exact same joke. Yeah, he could, what did they say? Oh, you probably, yeah, she said you probably rented those children, because it was just such a abrupt scene of, like, he's just going off with these kids, and we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> he just took these kids? Yeah. No, it's like everyone in this movie is, like, tripping on something. It's very weird. <laughs> like, nothing anyone does or says makes any sense, and all their dialogue is just, like, insipid vapid like nothing yes it's bizarre they're like trying to make jokes but then like i was going back and reading some of the quotes later because i couldn't tell what the intent was and i was like oh i think that was a joke well it's also interesting because i saw that Nora efron's both her parents were screenwriters so she was kind of born into this 
And then apparently she wrote a bunch of plays too. And I had to imagine that the plays are better. And then maybe these movies got a little bit screwed up because of Hollywood. executive meddling or something. I don't know. Yeah. Probably being too generous here. <laughs> it's probably exactly her vision. Oh God. There is a stupid scene where Meg Ryan's in the subway and there's a butterfly in there. And she's like, oh man, a butterfly in the subway. <laughs> And then it generally shows, like, her and Tom Hanks, like, almost meeting. Like, they're almost at the same Starbucks. They're almost on the same street together. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of that crash thing where... They keep crossing cro- crossing paths. They're star-crossed lovers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just wrote down at the point with the children, why is every part of this movie nauseating? <laughs> it's just, like, some fall festival, and Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is basically doing big two because he's just, like... Uh, I'm a giant child, and I'm just being funny and cute and being cloying. Oh, yeah, I hated how, yeah, the fall festival was really bland and boring. Like, he was just, it was just, like, montage of him, like, smiling with kids. I guess it's supposed to establish that he's actually a great partner. Yeah. Um... Oh, it's like the room again. They have to show what a great guy he is. <laughs> I so constantly like proving up, to you. Forgive him or something. Yeah, exactly. Even though he's conservative, you can forgive him. Nope. <laughs> no. Um. Oh, but Kavanaugh, you should have treated with more respect. <laughs> oh God. Um. But yeah, I, I hate how he he kind of is too childish. Like he uses humor, or no, he sorry, he uses sarcasm a lot with her. Like, did you notice mm. that? Like he'll like when he was eating the caviar, he just kept using sarcasm to deny like spying on her at the store. Oh yeah, you're right. Maybe in real life he was trying to play the game with her or something, like to neg her and make her feel bad about herself. That's what I was wondering. Yes, exactly. That's what I was like. What is his tactic here? But then on li- online, he has to actually respect her for her like ideas and mind and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that junk. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that trash. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Has to be a total cuck lord. <laughs> So after the fall festival is when he goes to her bookstore and she's like reading. Uh, this is actually one good thing I will say about this movie. It features the book Boy by Roald Dahl, which is a really good book. Yeah. That's the only good thing I'll say about it. <laughs> and he's like uh, talking to her, but doesn't tell her that he's the owner of Fox. So right off the bat, he's like lying to her. Yep. Because this is before he knows who she is or she knows who he is. So as far as they know, they're just two random bookstore owners. Mm-hmm. But he, she doesn't even know that. Yeah, he, she, he's just a customer in that case. Oh, yeah, and that's actually when we figure out that the boy is actually his brother mm-hmm. because his father got remarried to a really young woman. Mm-hmm. So apparently he just has, like, a weirdly young boy brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, later his dad and him have a conversation. Like, his dad doesn't seem to remember who Tom Hanks's mom even was. Wasn't that a thing? Like, his dad has had so many marriages, I guess, he doesn't even remember. I assumed he was joking, but it was unclear from the script. Yeah, it's very unclear. That's just me assuming. Right. The father's like, you, you had a mother? What are you talking about? You didn't have a mother. You just, you like, just... brings fully formed out of my yeah, head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my head got so filled up with ideas, and I had to split it open with a hatchet, and then you came tumbling out, <laughs> like in Greek myth. Yeah. Oh, and this is the same scene where I finally found out what Meg Ryan's name was. I don't know if they said the full name at any point before that, but her name's Kathleen Kelly. Mm. Um, and she's like complaining to him that Big Fox Books is opening around the corner. Horrible book origin story. I don't know what that means. Sorry. <laughs> Just reading my notes again. But yeah, if you lived in this universe, why wouldn't you be like Fox Books rules? It, it looks way better. Like it's this big 
cleanly laid out thing with like lots of places to sit down and like read. <laughs> yeah. I used to love Barnes and Noble. Oh, Fuck it. oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say. Um, oh, but I think what you were referencing was the her random speech about the power of books to this unsuspecting customer. Oh yeah. So for some reason, Meg Ryan has this whole inflated uh, importance of what she does and like what she offers the community, mm-hmm. which maybe book owners feel this way too in real life, but I don't know. She just, like, is telling everyone how I'm so glad I can sell books to everyone so they can become the people they are. Yeah. And how books are all the information that people need. It's like, well, no, now you have the internet. Yeah, like, books change your life or whatever, yeah. And you have to buy the more expensive ones. <laughs> I understand the sentiment. Maybe they could have even gone further and been like, oh, yeah, she was a lit major or something like that. But I don't know. She At the end of the day, she sells books. Like, they're doing the work, like, people who, who buy the books. She's not doing shit. Right. I, yeah, I think it's supposed to also be, like, she reads books to people in such a w- perfect way that everyone comes by for her book readings. I think that's another aspect. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do like small bookstores, and I also value the idea of curation, like, mm-hmm. the, um... Like, we kind of lost this with video stores, too, where you could go to a video store and they would be like, oh, I know you'd like this movie or that movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing where you could make sort of an intimate connection with a customer and sort of know what they like and suggest things. And make right. And yeah, it is a good uh, meeting point for different authors and book book uh, sellers and stuff. Right. But yeah, yeah. Her, her rant is a little bit overkill it's a bit much yeah <laughs> it's a bit much I'll just say. yes and yeah there's like a whole thing about her mom leaving the store to her and i guess her mom was really successful at like taking care of the community and the kids and um there's like even a ghost oh, yeah. mom memory or something when she's like closing up the store <laughs> oh yeah she has a violent daytime hallucination <laughs> where she imagines she sees her mother and herself dancing yeah that was a weird scene it's the in first there. sign that there's something pressing on her brain. Oh, God. Wasn't that a Tom Hanks movie? <laughs> I have to go dark with this movie because of how badly I hate oh, it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And how I wish it was a more interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also had this theory that maybe the reason that Nora Ephron sets so many scenes in different bookstores and areas where there's tons of books is that she had some sort of uh, note in her contract or something that's like, I get to keep all the books featured in this movie. Oh my god. So she's just like, let's use all the books, and really this whole thing was just a scam. Yeah, she's like, order all these. <laughs> I have a producer's level scam where I get to keep the books. <laughs> so yeah, um, at this point, basically, Tom Hanks knows that Meg Ryan is a bookseller, and she doesn't know who he is. But then the next time they meet is at this... Um, like a big book convention or something like that, like a publishing party. Mm-hmm. And that's where she finds out that he's the owner of Fox Books. Right, because he gets outed. Yeah, and there's that whole ridiculous scene with the caviar where he's just like getting all the caviar and she's like, hey, that's not just for you. Yeah, he's like scooping it all up and you're supposed to eat it with like whatever's in the middle and he's just scooping around the edge and taking what he wants. And that's when he's like being extra sarcastic and like a, I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty gross. I mean, I will say that as much as I didn't care for Meg Ryan in this movie, I did t- think that Tom Hanks played his role well, even though his character isn't very good. Uh, he's just a likable actor, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
but that's certainly not to this movie's credit. Oh, he kept referencing The Godfather too. Oh, his thing was loving The Godfather. Like he, various points, he... quotes, lines. Yeah. It's like, take the cannoli and shit like that, and references the horse scene. Actually, I really like that joke, where he's just, like, uh, imitating the horse scene. He's like, oh, yeah, like the guy finding the horse head in the Godfather. <laughs> he's just like, ah, so much blood. Oh, my <laughs> God. But it would have been better if it was a literary thing he liked, because her thing she liked was Pride and Prejudice, which was, like, a, it's supposed to be, like, a girly book. Oh, yeah. And all men are supposed to know about the Godfather. And that's also the scene where she accuses him of renting the children. Which we're like, yeah. Yeah, that's what we thought, too. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos is sitting in the corner being like, I'll sell books online. <laughs> yeah, I'll be all... <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, both of them are terrible. And I hate the, like, gender binary reinforcement there. Yeah. Oh, at some point, Parker Posey uses the word abstruse. Which is a like, word, though. <laughs> it is a word. What does it mean? Word says it just means um, obscure. Or that's the first uh, synonym for it. Oh, well, they could have just used the word obscure if they weren't trying to get, like, GRE points. Well, I guess she's supposed... She re- that's why I'm wondering, like, is she supposed to be the same kind of, like, ivory tower liberal as Greg Kinnear? I mean, her mom has definitely run a successful bookstore. Oh, no, I, sorry, York. I mean the, po- the uh, girlfriend of Tom Hanks. Oh, again, I have no idea what her deal is. Because I think she's the one who said obscure and a abstruse oh yeah yeah probably maybe that was the sign that we were supposed to take yeah oh and uh tom hanks thinks to himself do you ever want to be the worst version of yourself <laughs> or maybe that's what he i think that's what he writes to meg ryan and i'm just like this is gonna be a creepy stalker for the rest of the movie yeah <laughs> basically let's see they have these awful antics where they're like meat cuting in the supermarket or something but it's like they're each trying to avoid the other yeah. So they just, like, keep hiding around food, and there's, like, some stupid montage. I think that's where they use the cranberry song. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah, misplaced use of cranberry song. And then she's, like, awful in the line. Like, she got into the cash-only line but doesn't have cash, and she's just, like, rude to everyone else. And Tom Hanks comes over and helps her. Just awful. Yeah. Maybe this is Tom Hanks' this is very specific uh, fetish. He's like, I only am into women whose bookstores I ruin, whose businesses I take over and demolish. <laughs> that is what it felt like. And then I could get them at their weakest. It's another part of the negging, right? Yeah, exactly. He's like, make them dependent on me and my money. Yeah, they're trying to play this guy as a good partner, but we see through the bullshit. <laughs> and I guess that's what happens at the end, actually, because her business is ruined. Like, what the fuck is she going to do? She basically does just marry him and then it's fine. Yeah, she just married into money and the other people are fucked. No, the other guy got subsumed by the corporation, I guess. And if all of that wasn't bad enough, uh, then the next scene, there's a fucking Tomorrow performance from Annie. This little girl's just singing oh the song tomorrow. God. Yeah, I was like, why does no one use the internet in their daily life in this movie? <laughs> They're all entertaining themselves with such bullshit. Like, this is just in their home, like, one of the kids is... And maybe it's Annabelle is singing tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, also I forgot in the supermarket scene, he's actually like, do you need some money? And he's, like, paying for her. And it's like, is he trying to do a baby daddy? Ex- baby yeah, daddy? he kept trying to dominate her. Yeah, or maybe he was a vampire. That was our other theory. Like maybe he was just a vampire the whole time. <laughs> well, the way he was, like, telling the cashier, like, you will let her yeah. use her card seemed very vampire-like. 
He's using his white man powers to manipulate and hypnotize people. Right, like him having been a rich white man his whole life, he just can walk into wherever and tell people what to do. He's never experienced, like, rejection. Basically. He's a real Kavanaugh. Oh my god, yeah. This movie, um, it's going through the seasons, I guess, because it started in fall, and then there's Thanksgiving, and then Christmas thing. So it's like hitting all the seasons. Yeah, the, I thought it was kind of annoying how Thanksgiving was only represented by the grocery store scene. Like they were supposed to be buying groceries for Thanksgiving oh, yeah. and that was why it was so crowded. Yeah, it does just jump from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Yeah. And then they totally just make up a, a Christmas song that doesn't actually exist. They're just like singing about clarinets oh, and yeah. saying the violins will joyfully ring. That was awful. <laughs> counting, I think. Yeah. It's like, this isn't a song. This is, nobody's ever sung this song. Maybe Nora Ephron in her home. This oh, song. no. Well, no. Yeah, it was supposed to be contrasting the families with like singing around a piano, I guess. Yeah. So then after all this, um, is when they first instant message. And she's like, oh my, I've never had instant message. Yeah, she's like, oh, a pop-up instant message. Gasp. <laughs> oh man, it's instantaneous. It's like I can just type my thing and then they'll see the thing on the other end instantly. <laughs> oh, and he uh, references the Godfather again. He says we have to, maybe you'll have to go to the mattresses because she's complaining to him about this terrible fox guy and how she's he's ruining her business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both like, uh, they make it seem like it's a nice reference, but I'm totally like, isn't that like a sexual violence reference? Like what? What does go to the match? Oh yeah, mean? I didn't actually ever see The Godfather, so I don't know. But somehow in the movie, they make it seem like safe. I forget what they say exactly. Yeah, they just have her kind of repeating it and kind of like fake punching the air and... And being cute it's and supposed being like, to be... oh, Yeah, it's supposed to be cute. <laughs> Oh, maybe she's meant to get into the mattress business, and that's the Oh, thing. right, that's the next step. But apparently the phrase going to the mattresses literally just means to um, to get someone's apartment and some mattresses for the soldiers of the family to sleep on while they hide out in safety. Oh. Wait, so going to the mattresses is, means hiding from people? Not fighting? Yeah, what a weird expression. That means <laughs> it doesn't make sense with the context, because that doesn't mean fighting. No. Maybe he was just saying you need to hide instead of fighting. I don't know. That makes no sense. Yeah, that's weird. Okay. And then the other thing was it's not personal, it's business. That kept being repeated. Yeah. And it's also almost kind of like she should have figured out who he was by that mm -hmm. point. Yeah, he said, I'm a brilliant businessman. I have all this knowledge to give you. Ugh. She should have been able to figure it out. <laughs> so then based on this uh, instant messaging... They uh, decide to meet up in person, which is when Dave Chappelle's, like, walking along with him, and they're, like, he's gonna, like, scope it out for her in case she's a dog, as Dave Chappelle keeps saying. I did, like, at one point, he just, Dave Chappelle says the line, Piazza, in a really funny way, and that's probably his only good line. And so, then they're gonna meet in person after he's been helping her with business advice. And it was at this point that I decided that every character in this movie seems to be living in some sort of existential hell. Like Steve Zahn's <laughs> whole life revolves around clam sauce. Oh, what the hell Dave was Chappelle, that? I don't even know what his deal is. Every character seems to hate their lives, basically, but then overjoyed by it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really hated Tom Hanks shaking the fence in this scene where he's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's hot. Because he gets like Dave Chappelle to check on Meg to see who's he's gonna meet. 
in the restaurant. She's not a dog. She's a cute dog. Oh my She's god. On, uh, puppers or and something. And yeah, that was gross how Dave Chappelle was like, she could be a dog. But then he's like, Tom Hanks is like, yeah, she's hot. Because being hot, of course, matters so much when you match with someone mentally and emotionally. Like, what? Yeah, it's the scene where Tom Hanks famously goes crazy. <laughs> it's like, holy fuck, I'm going to fuck this fence. It was just so, like, yeah, it was so, like, vigorous. I was like, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but then at this point, you basically realize that um, Tom Hanks is a sociopath. Because having peeked into the restaurant and realized that the date is with Meg Ryan, and therefore he's been talking to Meg Ryan this whole time, he, like, pretends to leave for Dave Chappelle's benefit or something. And then comes back and just pretends that he's Joe Fox and not the online date person. Yeah. And he's like, oh, stood up, huh? What's up? Yeah, he lies to Dave Chappelle to get him to leave. To say, okay, I will just leave and stand her up. But then, yeah, what Pretty a... Cr- and then he's, like, going into, I guess... I wasn't sure what they were trying to convey. I guess he's trying to gauge her opinion to see if there's any chance that she could still like him despite being her enemy. Okay, I guess he was, like, trying to gauge if there's any way she could possibly like him knowing that he's this fox guy. But just the way he, like, lies to her and, like, is kind of testing her and pushing her buttons and stuff, it's just really rude. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and she said a sexist thing that made me not like her, because she starts going on a rant about, she says, like, one of those stupid 22-year-old girls, and it's an entire generation of cocktail waitresses. Yeah, with one name. She just has a rant. I'm not a share type. I'm Meg Ryan. I'm a two-name girl. girl. (laughs) Wait, that's what the thing is, is they're both, like, crotchety people. Like, that's what they're emailing each other is their rants about life. Like, why do people have to order five things on their drink? She's like, why do people have to say their name without their last name? (laughs) But it's not even like, I mean, I can imagine them making this comedy today, or like Clerks or something, where they actually really do rip into the customers, and it's really funny, Mm -hmm. because people should do and should hate customers. (laughs) But this one, is just like very bland. Like, what's the blandest complaint I can have about customers? Yeah. People can somehow relate to that i guess since this movie did so well right so yeah after he after the online version of tom hanks stands her up basically they don't exchange mail for a little while and tom hanks calls her a real bitch which i'm like that's not my tom (gasps) oh yeah that was really rude (laughs) oh and she gets into the bed with her shoes on at the end of the night or something Oh, yeah, that's really gross. But also, so basically this whole situation turns into catfishing before that was even, like, a formal term. Because he knows who she is and what's going on, but she doesn't have any clue. Yeah, he's just, like, misrepresenting himself, because at that point he should just be like, oh, yeah, sorry, that's me, I'm Joe Fox, we're, we're, I'm, we're the guy, I'm the guy who you've been texting with, mm-hmm. and also meeting in real life. Right. That's the thing. Yeah, he should have been honest. Oh, yeah. Throughout this movie, they also use this really strange technique. Uh, It's like whenever Tom Hanks is just in a montage, like he's waiting for mail, basically, for email. They just do this thing where he'll, like, move to one side and then come out the other side, like in Pac-Man or some shit. (laughs) Yeah. And they do the same thing earlier in the movie when he's going up the staircases at the Fox books. They just show him and the partners, like, at various points in their travel. Mm -hmm. It's like a really strange, specific effect to use. They're, like, trying to be so cutesy with the montage or whatever. (laughs) The editing jokes. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Here's what I wrote down. Tom Hanks was the rooftop killer the whole time because uh, oh. like the friends were saying, oh, yeah, how, why did he disappear? 
They were like, rooftop killer is caught. Oh, yeah, so they were, the employee was like, he had he had to be the rooftop killer. That's why he didn't show up. <laughs> and even that would have been a better twist than what we got. Yep. <laughs> oh, there's a really off-color Generalissimo Franco joke. Okay, yeah, that made this movie, like, just destroyed this movie for me. Yeah, it was like Greg Kinnear's joking about the Aunt Birdie character about her time in well, Spain. Yeah. And she's like, I dated someone famous. He's like, I had to be Generalissimo Franco. Yeah, well, yeah, she said I dated a famous, like, person in the government or whatever. I dated a famous dictator. I'm not sure, like, how that, yeah, I'm not sure, like, how that conversation came up, except that it was maybe talking about, like, dating Republicans or something. Well, he's just such a, li- well, Greg Kinnear's just such a liberal socialist that, of course, he assumes that. Right, but basically, he's like, she dated Franco? And Meg Ryan keeps oh. trying to make excuses and say, like, well, people do weird things when they're in diff- foreign countries. Um, and then Meg Ryan reveals, like, she didn't even vote in the last election. because she, she doesn't was- even vote. Yeah, so she's, like, the centrist. And then Tom Hanks to his family is kind of the centrist Republican. Oh, yeah. And she's the centrist exactly. liberal or whatever. And so I hated that this movie was essentially saying, like, you can have you can have a relationship with a literal fascist that's okay and then that excuses that's fine (laughs) yeah and then that excuses all the relationships with republicans as well meg ryan's like oh yeah i'm republican (laughs) yeah (laughs) now that i'm married to a rich man like i'm complacent in all this and i will make money too but yeah, the fact that she didn't vote is indefensible and makes this whole movie moot, in my view. Yeah, it's like they they should Fuck not <laughs> have included these politics. In, oh my god, it was so offensive. Yeah, if they weren't going to go into it or explain it in a good way. It reminds me also, like, this was made right before Bush, so still in the Clinton era. Mm-hmm. And I'm just imagining all these, like, upper middle class people who are just, like, comfortable and are only, like, privileged. They don't really mm-hmm. have to think about, like, the deeper issues and, like, what's happening to people of color. And, like, uh, how people are getting funneled to prisons and the don't ask, don't tell policy and all the shit from the Clinton era. Right. They're just, like, very comfortable. Maybe they didn't call themselves liberal, but really they're just, like, centrist, if not Republican. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At some point, I think the Steve Zong character is like, why don't we bomb Fox Books? And I was like, wow, that's a pretty oh yeah <laughs> extreme comment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, it's also just funny how this movie keeps glorifying all these things that are, like, super dated by now, like malls and giant bookstores, and Starbucks is even pretty passe at this point. Uh, Again, it reminds me of Friends, just, like, all that stuff that Friends was trying to sell, like, the whole lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, New York coffee shop lifestyle. Oh, another point when uh, Tom Hanks is just walking through his bookstore, we see this terrifying Fox Fred character. It's just like a naked fox with a flute, like doing a Piper thing, I guess. It's like in the children's book section, but it was was a very thick fox. (laughs) It was nightmarish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, weird set design. And I was very surprised when the movie just ended there after Tom Hanks plummets to his death in the elevator. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, because they all get trapped in an elevator. Yeah, so then simultaneously they have to break up with their partners that they can end up together. Um, So he gets like stuck in an elevator and then his girlfriend's like, Tic Tacs or something. And then that's just like the end of the scene. (laughs) Like, 
I don't even know. She's just, like, so annoying that he has to break up with her. And then Greg Kinnear and Meg Ryan, they both mutually are like, I don't love you. And they're just like, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, what the yeah, fuck? They were, like, living together. Like They just say it at the same time. We don't love you. It was, yeah, it was, like, so, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, just a weirdly written breakup scene. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a uh, conscious uncoupling. Right. But it's just like, how are they so delusional <laughs> that they thought that that was a healthy relationship then? If they I don't know, clearly hated strange. each other. Yeah. I've also been thinking like, I don't know, I'm thinking like playwrights, plays, like I'm not that big into theater, but maybe having these like broad characters, very archetypical, makes more sense from the standpoint if you're like a playwright mainly. Mm-hmm. Maybe these tropes make more sense and you're just trying to bridge it into film and you're just like not really adapting it to make them more complex Hmm. Like they're not, it's not like a novel. It's like a play. Right. Let's see. Tom Hanks makes a joke about baby gaps being the worst. And they're like, wow, that's really specific. <laughs> oh yeah. There's some fat phobia in there, I think. Uh, Cause he says something like, oh, do you think I'm fat or I don't know. Well, he was very worried that Meg Ryan would be fat. I think. Oh, geez. As oh. long as she's not fat. Oh God. That'd be the worst. He says. At this point, around this time, basically, Fox Books does take over and destroys Meg Ryan's business, and then the Steve Zahn character goes away. Well, and then, the yeah, the last thing to happen is she's out of a job, and then he is coming around, like, trying to be her friend as this Fox guy to try to win her over so that it makes it okay that he lied the whole time so that at the end he can be like, all right, Let's actually meet up now. And then it's him. And then she's just kind of like going through the realization of like, oh, it was him. That makes sense. But then instead of getting mad, she's like, hee hee And then they're like making out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she She's like going. What? She's like going through the motions. Oh, my God. Yeah, because like usually the conflict moment is when the person realizes that the other person was lying. And then they have to get yeah. over that. But in this movie, they're just like, oh, it was okay that he was lying the whole time. Like, and she's all that. Maybe it's because they're not uh, irresponsible teenagers. They're like established 30-year-olds. So oh, therefore, they're able to forgive a lot more. And he quips, I can see I bring the worst out in you. And we're all like, yeah, you do. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, they're not compatible. Because in person, he like makes her mad all the time. Yeah. And then he's also like, I'm knocking at your back door. And we were like, oh, Oh, that was a really creepy one. (laughs) Oh, Greg Kinnear ends up with a Republican woman from TV. So he ends up with a Republican too. Everyone's got their Republican sex drive. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't know that much about New York in the 90s, but this all does seem like very of a place for that time and place like it kind of makes sense i guess like this is before 9-11 and all that obviously yeah they're like we can be bipartisan and go across the aisle or something at one point they used the song sign seal delivered and i'm just like ugh. yeah misuse of the song (laughs) oh yeah all of a sudden i think he gets all serious like and i'll love you for as long as we both shall or like something that was just real (laughs) (laughs) right he just got really serious there at the end yeah, they're just, like, meeting and uh, confessing, and then he, he gets, like, really serious. That's the weird thing about this character. That's why I think, like, some enterprising YouTuber could edit this into a really convincing, like, stalker movie. Yes! Like, make it a horror film. 
yeah. like a single white male type thing. Because mm-hmm. it is just like he's like stalking her, and there's like these weird moments of like at the supermarket when he's like hypnotizing the. Yeah, and he's there. like manipulating her whole life around his lies, like. When he's shaking the fence, and when he's like, "I'm at your back door," and then he just shows up at the door, <laughs> like out of nowhere, and she's like, "What the fuck?" Because she's like, I guess sick or something. Oh yeah, shit. she kept telling him to leave, and he wouldn't leave. Oh my her body's God. like falling apart because her business was destroyed. And it's like this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like this awful consent thing where it's like, oh well, it's actually for her own good because if she knew that he were so compatible with her, she wouldn't be pushing him away. So he knows better and he's doing it for her own good, which is just a really toxic, unhealthy relationship. But also at some point they do resume their online communications. At some point they do just start talking again, I guess. Yeah, I think they keep talking. Like she breaks for a moment when they don't, when he uh, stands her up and says like, I can explain or something. Um, it does also help us to remember that this is the same person who wrote When Harry Met Sally, and that was very similar, too. Mm. It was, like, Meg Ryan and... Um, Can men and women be friends? Yeah, Meg Ryan Billy Crystal is the whole thing, too, where they, like, hate each other, but they love each other, and at the end they love each other, but nothing really got resolved. They just decided, I guess. Oh, yeah, I hated this line that Tom Hanks said about her. Uh, this woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with. Like, the way he viewed her manic Ugh. pixie dream girlness was really creepy. Yeah, I did not like their relationship. I don't know. They're both too old for this whole situation, honestly. Um, oh, and then at the end when she's like, she has to do the face act. So there's a lot of face acting in this because um they have to look at their computers she's terrible at it well yeah so at the end he like walks across the park and she's realizing that like it was him the whole time so her she's going through all the emotions and she's like crying and i was i wrote as my note like she cries as she realizes her whole life has been a lie <laughs> a lie <laughs> yeah and she's like i wanted it to be you which is really creepy yeah but I guess you're supposed to think, oh yeah, she's been falling in love with Fox even though she hates him and his politics. I want to be dominated by this man I hate. Oh, that's the Mr. Darcy relationship in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Oh yeah, so throughout this movie they do reference Jane Austen in Pride and Prejudice and she variously says that Mr. Darcy is her favorite character. But yeah, Tom Hanks is just a jerk. Yeah, he really has no excuse at all. Oh, and they use this awful cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow in that scene. (laughs) Yes. And then they're hugging in the park, and it's like a beautiful fall day, and the dog starts humping them as the camera (laughs) pans up. Oh, my gosh. And and settles ominously on the World Trade Center. Oh, my God. Yeah, basically, they were trying to have the lesson of, like, you could love anyone, like, any of these people you interact with could be the one. But I just took it to mean, like, there be terrified of everyone and verify everyone's yeah, multiple times that yes definitely and also yeah because everyone could be lying in the age of the internet and also them show up with like a post-dated newspaper the internet did not bring people together it made people argue online anonymously <laughs> oh yeah this is sort of the thing we've been realizing like I, uh, we, I, uh, we were discussing this article the other day about the guy who created the internet and how he thought it was going to bring people together and how he thought it was going to be this great utopian thing. And that makes sense because if you just share, like, um, you know, nonpartisan facts, like, just, like, facts. Oh, and also some of it's about... people would, like, get along. And some of it's about net neutrality, too, and, like, limiting access information. So, like, Fox's, um, 
family would tr- probably be anti-net neutrality in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's a whole thing about how everything's always like pushing us to be divided and not, uh, not feel like we are living in utopian time. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like the, le- the takeaway should not be, it's okay to be friends with fascists. It's not, a, you should not condone fascism. <laughs> No. Yeah, that should be the takeaway. Fuck fascism. That's the ending. <laughs> Here's the ending. Fuck fascism. Because <laughs> the whole thing, Jane Austen's whole thing is just like men and women, like feud, feud flirting with each other. Oh my gosh. I think I just hate feud flirting. Yeah, me too. It's the worst. <laughs> Such a movie. Like, honestly, uh, I don't really understand why people like this movie specifically. Yeah, I was blown away. This genre is, like, painful. Yeah, well, I was blown away by the success of this movie because I was, like, really struggling with, like, the writing of it. I mean, I've tried really hard not to see this movie in my life because of how shitty I thought it was going to be. Mm. And it was exactly confirmed. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This movie was made for $65 million, probably just, like, shooting all in location New York cost that much and having these two big actors. And it made $250 million. So that, of course, explains why they keep moving, making these shitty romantic comedies. <laughs> Very successful. Make, make a lot of money. Yeah. There's, there's no big explosions or giant CGI creatures to... Oh my animate. gosh. Well, like, romantic comedy could be okay if it's, like, empowering to women instead of, like, in making you push your boundaries and, like, give up consent and stuff. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe come to think of it, this is all Jane Austen's fault. Oh, no. That's a takeaway. Fuck fascism and fuck Jane Austen novels. Oh. <laughs> Edith Wharton was way better. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> That's what you yell at the, at the end. Edith Wharton was the better satirist, <laughs> and it actually, like, read like satire. Oh. And just loved the shit. Mm-hmm. Unironically. Right. But yeah, that was this movie made in December 18th, 1998. So that probably explains why they had the Christmas shit in it. Yes. Yeah, it was actually a Christmas movie. Oh, gosh. So yeah, this movie was immediately dated and is much more dated now as Amazon has destroyed everything. <laughs> and, and there's no more are... AOL. <laughs> yeah, people don't even really instant message that much anymore. Or they'll use like the iChats or Snapchat. Google. I mean, AIM doesn't exist anymore. It right. About a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, maybe the only funny thing was when they said like the three little words are you've got mail, not I love you. <laughs> it's like you've got mail is like super important. <laughs> you've got mail but yeah listen to this tag phrase someone you pass on the street may already be the love of your life yeah that's what i'm that is what the message yeah that's what i thought that they were trying to get across but it's like such an offensive movie it's like everything i hate about this movie is kind of just wrapped up in the meg ryan character how she's being so like cloyingly like cute and look how whimsical and charming in it i am and i have all these first edition kids books and i don't vote (laughs) Yeah, I don't vote. Who needs voting? I'm privileged. <laughs> uh, Ugh, I don't know. Yeah, this movie was terrible. I give it no stars, and may God have mercy on their souls. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. So would you recommend this movie? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and for some reason, I'm looking at Amazon, and there's like a billion like five-star reviews. Yeah, I saw that too. It's like got five stars on the Amazon. <laughs> Like, what? Why? What? Do these people just like catfishing? Is that it? (laughs) 
there's like nothing dark in this movie. It's all just like very surface level. I guess it's escapism or whatever, but I don't know. You can do this genre way better like Richard Linklater did with the um, Before Sunset series. Just movies that are actually about like what people are like and not just these stock, cardboard, bizarre, insepid characters mm-hmm. with no inner lives. Yes. <laughs> who only get saved by the virtue of either the actor playing them is good or they don't really care and they're just doing it for a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't I really don't like the majority of the movies in this genre. Or people would probably look at like the John Hughes movies as positive examples of romantic comedies because they're usually like focused on the female perspective and they have like nerdy side characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything that ends with like a relationship or something could be a romantic comedy. Or if they had added an extra wrinkle to this movie, like Tom Hanks really was a vampire or a stalker, or really was in the Matrix Extended Universe. Any of those things would have made this more interesting. Yeah. Probably worked better as a play, or as a book, or as the 1950s version of the movie. Oh yeah, 1940. Mm-hmm. Alright, well I guess that's gonna finish it off for this episode of Cinemazing Chats. As always, I've been Pablo, and I'm here with my co-host. Erica. Alright, um... Have a good yeah, night. It was good chatting <laughs> no, with know. you. Right. Should we say happy? Yeah, good night and good luck. Oh God! What's our sign off? Yeah, I thought it was it was happy good chatting with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's just say that. Oh yeah, good chatting with you. You too.